Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm joined by Bob Grimm, the co-founder and head brewer at Foam Brewers, and Josh Bear, one of the R&D and OG brewers there. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. So I want to start right off with just where did the name Foam Brewers come from? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a a popular question. Um, And the answer is, um, as as brewers, you know, we're called Foam Brewers uh, because the three of us that initially kind of started the planning for the brewery um, were professional brewers. So um, we wanted it to be a uh, brewery for uh, brewers. And the name foam comes from um, our desire to create, you know, the best beer possible. And so as a, you know, crafting, crafting a beer, you might have the best ingredients, the best recipe, whatever. Um, but if, if the beer is poured and presented to you uh, without a head, without foam on top of it, uh, it's kind of the mark of a flabby beer. And so foam on top of a perfectly made beer is kind of the crowning achievement, I would say. Uh, and it's, it just makes it look really tasty. Um, the other piece of the puzzle is we ended up down here right on the shores of Lake Champlain on the waterfront. Um, and you know, the, the waves can be crashing over the breakwater out there and stirring up a little bit of foam. So, um, that was kind of like an afterthought, but that is some people, uh, have attributed that to the name as well. It's a nice little addition to the story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of, a lot of other people also think that, uh, foam comes from the fish song um there's a there's a famous fish song um yeah falling into the foam and obviously there's a lot of fish heads around here in burlington vermont so but it is not that that is not where the inspiration for the name came from <laughs> that's what that's where you draw the line <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> there there uh, two, two of my partners would be upset that i just said that because they're <laughs> big fish heads but it's true there is a um a brewery in maryland that is almost entirely fish themed. Um, they're like every story when I interviewed them, like the joining of people when they met all involved being in the, uh, parking lot of a fish show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Josh, uh, Josh has a couple experiences. I've only been to one show. Uh, it was a big one, but, um, yeah, Josh might be able to relate a little bit better to that life. <laughs> he he can interject that into to, to a story today. Yeah, uh, he's, fall, maybe, he's falling maybe into the past life. Maybe in a past life. <laughs> um, so you had mentioned uh, brewing your goal to brew amazing beer. Uh, so before we get into the history of um, foam and your story. Wh- why is it that you guys up in Vermont are so good at brewing IPAs? <laughs> um, I think that, uh, you know, there's little epicenters of, um, you know, newer styles uh, done really well in different places, whether it's a hobby beer or, uh, you know, a fruited sour beer, a stout, whatever. But um, I think that there just happened to be a group of people in Vermont that kind of set the standards at the bar pretty high. And so if you want to make a mark in Vermont, you have to uh, at least aim to be like in that same zone. And so um, I always credit I would always credit uh, the 
original people to do, you know, Vermont style IPA, because we're not saying New England style. Um, uh, Vermont style IPA is, uh, I think, Hill Farmstead and Alchemist are kind of the, um, the grandfathers of that uh, genre of beer, I guess. But um, and they do it really, really well. And so uh, it's it's inspiring. And uh, it's always, you know, I think it should be the goal of every brewer to always work toward creating the best beer you possibly can create you know, source the ingredients that you feel are, are right for the beer um, and uh, always be working to make a better beer and a more efficient process. Um, and that was instilled in me um, in my younger brewing years uh, by one of my partners, Todd Hare. Um, he was the brewer. He was uh, the brewmaster at Magic Hat for several years. Uh, and um, then we met when he hired me as a young kid out of college uh, years ago. And so I learned, I learned a lot from him and that's definitely something that really, uh, you know, stuck with me and hit home is just always trying to make beer better. Yeah. I guess with, um, with the competition from the original people, you, you really don't have much choice, but to put out amazing beer if you're going to survive. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's, and that goes, tr that's true for, uh, every, every brewery just in general, I think there's, yeah. you know, uh, there's so many breweries in the world, in the United States. Um, and I mean, even in just in Vermont per capita, Vermont's always going back and forth. I think with Oregon is, you know, um, most breweries per capita. Yes. We have a small state, not very many people, but <laughs> either way, there are a lot of, there are a lot of breweries and a lot of really great breweries out there now. And, uh, I think that the, overall standard has just increased over the years when you know maybe five years ago um you know a beer snob you know, would say uh that was in the no might say that 50 percent of the breweries were making you know good beer i think it's higher than that now i think i think most breweries are making at least something that is good yeah the, um, the days of being able to open with mediocre beer uh, is are long gone yeah, exactly. It's that rising tide thing. And, um, if you're gonna, if you're going to, you know, stay alive in this industry, you gotta roll with the punches. You gotta try to make the best thing possible. So you can, if you're not standing out, then you're, you're probably failing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why there's, and there's a lot of innovation too. There's a lot of new styles popping up, um, things that haven't been done before. And, uh, and I think that's all part of it is, is working toward a common goal, like I was saying before, which is trying to create the best thing you can create, um, that ends up kind of perpetuating itself and allowing the industry as a whole to move forward and be creative and focus on quality uh, and efficiency and all of that stuff. So um, you had mentioned Todd. So before, let's take another side story before the history. How did Todd end up on a Garbage Pail Kid? card <laughs> oh man um well todd is uh you know todd is the um let me how do i put this uh he's the older guy in the group i guess you could say <laughs> uh no, by no means he's the old but he's you know he grew up in the 80s so um that was that was a thing so he's and, probably uh, my age <laughs> yeah exactly right right so it's so funny. he's an, he's he's an old man he's, he's the old guy <laughs> um but but uh no a lot of a lot of our um you know, like branding, I guess you could say kind of comes from that, that era, uh, whether it's music or pop culture, stuff like that. So, um, and 
it kind of worked out uh, in a weird way, but it was um, the artist, the resident artist for uh, McKellar. Um, he reached out to a handful of breweries um, that he had known of. And, you know, we've, we had met him previously uh, at uh, beer events and stuff in the past. And uh, I'm not entirely sure if Todd directly talked with him in person or not, but somehow we connected with, with us and Todd was the obvious choice for, um, for being, you know, one of the garbage pail kids. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw him, but, uh, I he did. was pretty had... juiced up in that. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny, but yeah, it's cool. It's cool to be a part of that whole thing. It's, you know, uh, some great breweries were chosen to be a part of that. And it's, it's nice to, um, you know, be a, be a line on that, on that list. Yeah. I mean, in it's good company with the other garbage pail kids. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, it is, it is kind of a who's who of breweries that were involved in it. But yeah, I mean, it definitely, it hit me in the nostalgia because I, I had, oh, yeah, I had a, a huge of, collection of those when I was a kid. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, there's definitely a target market for that stuff. Um, a lot of people come in and, and, uh, are like, oh man, I, I collected these when I was a kid in the eighties and, uh. I wouldn't say they're flying off the shelf, but it is a really cool thing to have. And um, the people that do appreciate it and, and know what it is really love it. Yeah, I need to order some of those. I haven't gotten around to it yet. But that, yeah, we got, just, a, we got a stockpile. It's just funny. I'll have to send you some. <laughs> All right. So I've, I've taken us off tangent a couple times already. Um, let's get to the history of how foam came to be. Uh, so we'll actually let's just start out where what were you doing uh, leading up to when foam became an idea of something you wanted to do? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, I already commented on uh, a little bit of Todd's history and path, um, but I guess I could just start with saying who's involved and how who started foam. So um, it was m- myself, Todd and Sam Keen. Um, we kind of got the idea rolling, the ball rolling on the whole business, um, brewery. And, uh, then we realized, you know, we're, it's three brewers here and there's a lot of other stuff involved in running a business. And, um, especially with a focus heavily on on onsite, um, sales, right? So you need employees, you need, uh, you need marketing, all that stuff. And so we, um, we brought on two other partners, uh, Danny Casey and John Farmer. Danny originally was doing a lot of front of house management stuff um, because she was also at Magic Hat and she was kind of leading the charge over there with that stuff. Um, and John Farmer, um, he uh, didn't have any experience doing what he's doing now, but he's a quick learner and he really owned what he was, you know, he, he learned a lot um, about, you know, writing, like developing a website and uh, social media stuff, all, all of that. And so he really found his role in that. So he's doing, um, he leads the charge on the sales and marketing team, that whole side of things. Uh, and it kind of rounded us out a little bit as, as uh, partners. And everyone always asks, how, how do you guys run a business with five people making decisions? <laughs> and um, I think it is kind of a unique thing and an odd thing in a way, um, because, you know, five people, f- five strong personalities means there's always going to be some headbutting happening. But um, I think the key that has allowed us to work so um, smooth together 
is just mutual respect. You know, it's I, I respect um, everyone else's opinion on things. And I think that feeling is shared amongst the five of us. And so if someone feels really strongly about a direction or, uh, you know, something that we should be doing, um, usually we end up doing that because we all we all agree and uh, we talk we talk it through. Um, and so it works really nice. It's and then, of course, on the other side of that, you know, there's not one person, you know, off their rocker making decisions unchecked, which <laughs> yeah. I think can also happen sometimes. And so it is nice to have the support of other people that you know, love and respect to be there saying this is a good idea or this is a really stupid idea. <laughs> That's what and, I, uh, I think it, it, it definitely does help to have multiple people around for those instances when you have a really bad idea that you can't recognize yourself oh, how bad and it that, is so that you that have <laughs> you have people around you that are because <laughs> if you just have employees that know it's a horrible idea they may not be willing to speak up but if you have oh, totally. other partners in the business they're going to tell you how bad of an idea it yeah, is absolutely and uh yeah we've seen that many times um exactly that scenario so that's that's a good thing and um and it does, it does work for us. So going back to your question, I'm going on tangents now. Um, so Todd, Sam and I, we were, uh, we were all working together at a brewery. Todd had hired Sam and I out of college. Um, and so we started, you know, started at the bottom flipping kegs and, uh, kind of learning the ins and outs of, of what a brewery is really all about. You know, the glory job is in the brew house making work, you know, it's, that's, that's uh that's kind of like the the um that's the pinnacle you know that's what everyone wants to be doing yeah. that's what everyone wants to be seen as doing but there's a lot of grunt work involved in um in making beer carrying uh, around the kegs, sacks of grain and... <laughs> getting all sweaty yeah exactly uh and so um so we started kind of just grinding away at all that stuff and um you know, with Todd, we started uh, taking on more responsibility at the brewery that we were hired to be at. And um, Todd and I specifically started working on some R&D brews, pilot brews for new beers that that brewery was uh, putting out. And, you know, the uh, I kind of just got the, the gears turning a little bit and and thinking like, you know, it'd be cool if we could do this and do that. And um, when you're working at a place uh, with an established brand, there are certain limitations to what you can do, obviously. And that makes sense. It's, uh, you know, you can't just go super crazy in, in a different direction. Um, there has to be some type of consistency. So um, that is limiting when you have a lot of ideas and you wanna, you wanna uh, really kind of dive into things that are, you know, maybe not like standard or not even standard, maybe just different. Um, or just not I even on brand. That, you, like, exactly. That's you'll exactly see that all the time, like a brewery that's really known for like, like specializing in one thing. And then mm -hmm. they, they may release another style or something else that's completely amazing, but it kind of gets ignored because everyone just focuses on, on being what they've always historically been. Exactly. That's, that's exactly the case. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's, that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where the idea, um, really percolated, I guess. And <clears throat> so, um, Sam, Sam and Todd and I started working on a business plan, you know, got all the, 
the nitty gritty details kind of written out. Um, and then we started approaching banks and went through the whole process of uh, seeking out a loan. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of uh, financial backers, I guess you could say, um, directly in, in our lives. So we were really relying heavily on someone believing in our ideas. And uh, it was pretty stressful. We went through the process of that and uh, went through a couple banks that seemed promising. And then last minute, some stuff fell through, it seemed like every time. Uh, and then finally, we met uh, someone named Will Hamilton at Community National Bank. And he was, uh, I always said at the time, um, after, after we realized that, you know, he was going to he was believing in the three crazy people with this idea uh, that where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, as corny as that is, but um, <laughs> he, he, uh, he actually read our plan and, and um, thought that it would work. And he gave us a loan. And uh, so we were able to secure our space down here on the waterfront that had previously been um, a series of different restaurants that had varying degrees of success, but the winter always killed their business. Um, people didn't want to travel out of town, you know, out of town, uh, down, you know, the quarter mile down to the waterfront because <laughs> the wind, the wind was whipping off the lake, I guess. I don't know. But, um, you know, build it and they will come kind of thing. You know, we, we changed it up. We ripped everything out of the space that we're in now and built the brewery back up from the ground and <clears throat> created it, created an identity that uh, was kind of true to ourselves and uh, who we are and um, opened up in spring of 2016 it's like april 28th or something like that and uh it was just a very surreal experience watching people line up at the door as we're still painting you know the, the other side of the door <laughs> scrambling uh, to do those last like, minute oh man exactly like, i will man, i didn't think this is gonna be coming i will never understand why you all you all being like brewery owners do that to yourselves <laughs> Like yeah, set, I, set an open date that like, if you just pushed it back a couple more days, it would be so much easier on yourself. <laughs> totally. I mean, I always wonder now, especially, uh, why are we doing this to ourselves? And uh, we still do it to ourselves that way sometimes. But, um, in the moment though, it was kind of out of necessity. We literally put all of the money that we had collectively into this thing and we're like living off credit cards pretty much. Yeah. I mean, um, and obviously, like that is usually what the real reason is. Like you just exactly. you need to start gaining revenue. <laughs> yeah, based. yeah, exactly. But yeah. it's still that's just, just that's just not like no one wants to hear that though. <laughs> but I've just I've been to so many places that like the day they were opening, like hanging out there and just watching the mad scramble to try yeah. to get everything in the place for oh, when the cr people are coming in. And there's almost always a line now whenever a new brewery is opening because people are all excited about the new shiny thing. So. Oh, people love new stuff. Absolutely. I do too. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that um, in a perfect world, it would be nice to set dates and like have, yeah. have everything kind of figured out. But we're still working on that to some degree. Um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, it just makes it more exciting. Yeah. I, I'm a procrastinator like through and through. So I thrive in the stress. No, you want to be building the railroad as the train is just barreling down the track, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just getting it one section at a time. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's take um, a real quick sponsor break, and then we get back. We can talk a little bit more about those early days of foam brewers. So we will be right back. 
Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. Okay, Bob, what um, what did you go to college for? Um, I went to college uh, over in... Plattsburgh, New York, Plattsburgh State, um, part of the SUNY system over there. Uh, I started out for two years as biochemistry, and I got sick of going to the really long uh, chemistry labs. So I decided to switch my major uh, to food science and human nutrition uh, halfway through. And then I quickly realized I still had to go to all of those same chemistry classes (laughs) and all of the same (laughs) chemistry labs. Um, So it wasn't too much of a change of pace, but I'm glad that I did switch my major because I think that uh, the courses that I ended up taking um, with the food science side of things helped me kind of round out like the science heavy uh, major. And there was a lot of uh, really interesting things on cooking and stuff like that, because, you know, going to school for for food science and human nutrition, people could go into all sorts of different fields like medical field, um, like any, anything related to cooking, really. So it was it was a really cool uh, experience and major. I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, but um, and I think that that's also kind of helped me understand a little bit uh, deeper, kind of the science behind brewing. Yeah, I was going to say the, those majors probably were actually applicable to being a brewer. Oh, man, some... I think it's the perfect major to be a brewer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, the school that I went to didn't have, didn't offer a lot of um, perspectives outside of kind of what they were pushing people to do, which was, uh, you know, work as a dietitian or something in the medical field more so. Um, And so I kind of, when I, when I decided I didn't want to do that, um, it was after a, after a, uh, I think, what is it called? Like um, phlebotomy lab. It was it was uh, a dialysis clinic. We had to I had to go for a class to and uh, hang out there for the day. And I don't do very well with blood and stuff like that. So uh, that was kind of the nail in the coffin, I guess you could say, for me deciding I absolutely did not want to continue on that same path. And it just happened to coincide with, um, you know, classic story. My dad got a homebrew kit for Father's Day, and I was it a Mister Beer? Man. It was totally Mr. Beer. Yeah, yes. the classic. Yeah, so, exactly. The beer in a box. Well, no, because I I interviewed um, Kelsey from North Park Beer Company okay. yesterday, 
and he started brew, home brewing on a Mr. Beer. Oh, and wow. I really want to know how many breweries in the U.S. started with a Mr. Beer kit. Because oh, sure like, I, I feel like at least 50% of the people I interview started brewing on a mr beer kit oh man that is hilarious i mean yeah it's well you gotta you have to find the love for it somewhere yeah like you know and they're everywhere uh, exactly oh yeah for sure mr beer Uh, he must that guy must be a millionaire at this point (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so i i you know doing the home brew with my dad was cool and i was able to apply some of the stuff that i was learning at the time and I just fell in love with it. And uh, then I became really dorky about it. We started a homebrew group with a couple guys over there. Um, and that started growing. And uh, then I decided at that point, I certainly wanted to go into beer as, as a profession and a career path. And so I uh, <clears throat> started going around <clears throat> to uh, the breweries that were over there. Pretty limited at the time, you know, 12 years ago. And uh, this one guy, um, Jason. Jason Stoyanoff, he took me under his wing and it was the first time he'd ever had an apprentice. Um, and so he kind of took a chance, I guess, but it was, it was a great opportunity to learn and kind of get my foot in the door, I guess. And his whole thing was, uh, he was like, I want you to do all the, all the shitty work, do, you know, <laughs> cleaning the tanks and scrubbing the floor, all the stuff that's like, like I was saying earlier, really are the jobs that, um, you do at a brewery. And, uh, his thing was, you know, um, there's a lot of romanticism behind being a brewer. And so if you still want to pursue it and you're still in love with it after doing all the shitty work, then you should definitely do it. And I thought that was an awesome sentiment. And, uh, and I did still love it after that. I like, I like the physical side of things and I like working with my hands and cleaning and fixing and organizing and all of that stuff. It's kind of like a CrossFit program. Yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. The amount of beer that, uh, is consumed in the brewing world. I think like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta have some type of like offset to that <laughs> lifting kegs, whatever it is. Uh, Body but, by uh, fun. yeah, <laughs> but, um, anyway, so, so then after that, not to keep running on with this, but, um, after I graduated college, I applied for a, that, you know, starting position at a, a local regional brewery over here. And that's where I met Todd Hare. He hired me um, straight out of college and uh, sent me directly to the canning line or sorry, the, uh, the kegging line. And, um, you know, got got a lot of experience uh, doing all the keg work, <laughs> cleaning and such, um, which is good. I think everyone should really start there. But um, so, so real quick, hired... though, how was that first homebrew you made? Oh, so bad. Okay, so good. Bad. I don't yeah. believe I anyone. I was, I was, I was really just kind of hanging out. My dad was, you know, he was the one into it. It was his, it was his gift. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think that he had, uh, sanitized some, you know, sanitized the carboys with bleach. So, uh, oh, everything was killed. Say, yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> including the taste of the beer. Um, it was not good, not good at all, but coincidentally now that i'm thinking back it was the first beer that he did was a um it was a clone brew of magic hat number nine uh which you know todd todd had a lot of experience with that over at magic hat (laughs) back in the day so it is kind of funny thinking about that but uh yeah so yeah i'd like to think that really uh you know come a long way (laughs) 
from, <laughs> from the bathtub brews. But uh, yeah, and um, yeah, so fast forwarding, you know, starting at at that other brewery, um, Todd hired me and Sam, my partner Sam. Um, he Sam had gone to school for the same thing that I had gone to or gone for, uh, but he he went to UVM over here on this side of the lake, um, and <clears throat> it was cool. We became fast friends, and uh, over the years, just had a lot of beers together and a lot of conversations, and um, got to know Todd really well together, and so that's kind of how it naturally came about, uh, just, you know, thinking of different things that we liked about beer and and talking about how you know, we might want to do it ourselves. And, uh, that's, that's really kind of the story, I guess. Um, and then we went through all the, the banking stuff and all the business planning and finding the location. And, you know, it's, it just seems like a whirlwind at this point, thinking back, it feels like it was yesterday, but at the same time, it feels like it was like, you know, 20 years ago. And so it's a weird feeling. I can't really describe it that well, but, uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride. So when, when you were going to school, did you like during that time, did you, your goal was to be a brewer or did you have other aspirations during that time? Well, when I first started going to school, um, I, you know, like most kids, I think I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. Um, I thought that I wanted to do something in like the medical field, which is why I did biochemistry. I had thoughts of, you know, maybe being, a doctor or a, uh, you know, physical therapist or something like that. Um, and then I kind of lost those aspirations and, um, was interested in more of the, you know, the food side of things, which is why I switched to food science and nutrition. I was interested in how people eat and their, you know, special diets and all that stuff. Um, and then I lost interest with that too. And uh, luckily, I found something that I have continued to be interested in, very interested in. And uh, I feel like that interest grows every day. And I think that the brewing world as a whole is just a very cool place to find yourself because there are so many facets of what we do on a daily basis. It's not just making beer. There's all sorts of other things that people don't really think about that are involved with, with the process of making beer or selling beer. Um, so every day is a new adventure. There's always something changing, some problem to solve or some creative thing to, to work on. And I think for my personality, at least, that's a really good thing. Um, I think that if I you know, was, had, a, had a traditional job at a desk or... Um, something like that, I think that I would find myself uh, becoming pretty bored and and struggling to stay on task. That's so, kind of how this podcast started. Yeah. I, I work in the IT department at the newspaper that this is put out through. Oh, and okay. I just started the podcast and it became popular and it started making money. So then it became oh, part awesome. of my job. So now I get to go and hang out and talk to brewers and brewery owners as oh a, hell yeah i mean that's that's exactly what it's like right it's it's uh having an idea that you are into and hoping that people are going to appreciate what you're doing there's always the thought in the back of everyone's head i'm sure that you know is am i just a crazy person is this not you know is am i on the wrong path here um so it is always nice when 
when other people do um, show appreciation for what you're doing and support what you're doing. Uh, and, and yeah, just having that idea and then allowing it to kind of blossom and grow that to a place that, you know, others are actively involved. That's a cool thing. It's a good feeling. What's a, um, I mean, there's tons of studies about like employee, uh, morale and things. And, and they often talk about like that we, as people will like just knowing what you are doing is appreciated and mean something can replace so many other rewards in a, in a business situation. So like, like people oh, coming in and telling you how great your beer is can replace so many other things in your satisfaction of working. Oh yeah, for sure. Josh, I mean, you want to comment on that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, there, there really is like such a sense of like pride or accomplishment or just no better feeling than like being up on the brew deck, you know, flaving over stirring a mash or having a steaming kettle like boil up and you know put all that steam in your face but then you look out off the brew deck and you see people like sitting around having a great time and sharing conversation and clinking glasses and uh yeah that'll that'll turn any day around just seeing seeing people really enjoy the beer you're making or or come have a conversation with you or you know want to be involved or ask questions it's a really fulfilling really rewarding part of the part of the day for sure and we kind of set up uh, foam with the intention of <clears throat> having a very open brewery. You know, there's no walls around the brew house. There's no glass um, to look through to see the tanks, you know, in the back there. Uh, and that, that was all purposeful to ignite conversation and show people where the beer is being brewed, even show them how it's being brewed. Because I think, I think it's really important because there's a huge disconnect with uh, people and, and where their food comes from and beer's food. So uh, I think it's it's cool to have a little place in that world to try to help people understand, um, you know, where how things are made and, and where it's coming from. I mean, we we do, uh, we purchase a lot of ingredients for the beer that we brew down here from Vermont, uh, a sig- very significant amount. All of the base malt that we uh, brew the beer with is from uh, Vermont Malt House in Charlotte. <clears throat> and... We buy a lot of hops from Champlain Valley hops um, and Whitefield hops, and uh, a lot of a lot of fruit from various farms as well. Fisher Brother Farms, uh, you name it. I mean, the list goes on and on. We've uh, we've worked on you know the, I guess the um, messaging behind that uh, because in the past, you know, there's there's been breweries that will kind of market you know sourcing local ingredients and then throw a handful of this, a handful of that in there and say, you know, we use, we use Vermont ingredients, but that always felt kind of wrong to me um, when I would see that or hear that. And so we had a, we had a weird relationship with our local ingredients in the beer for a while. And uh, because of that. And so it felt kind of corny or cliche to say that. And, um, but then we realized pretty quickly that we were, only doing ourselves a disservice and everyone involved customers and the farmers, especially a disservice by not telling that story. And so we've worked really hard over the years to try to explain to people and show them, you know, where everything is coming from and the people that are behind the farming and uh, all of that stuff that we, all of the people that we partner with in Vermont. And uh, so 
it was cool to have the ability to talk to these people directly, you know, right here at foam yeah. every single day. And, and it's one and of those things like, like the people who care about that really care about it. So they're going to like, that means something to them to know that not only they're buying from you as local, but you're also supporting a whole local local ecosystem to, mm-hmm. to make your Yeah, product. absolutely. And, and in Vermont, sorry, Josh, I know you have some, do you want to? Oh, no. Oh, um, I was, I was just, just going to say, say you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go, no, Josh, you go. Josh, you oh, go. What? Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. I was, uh, I was just going to say it's so baked into our ethos that it, it doesn't even stop just with what goes into the beer and the ingredients. Um, I mean, creating the local ecosystem, even like, you know, a lot of the bands that we showcase here are local or regional acts, try to highlight local artists in that way. Um, every can beer that we do, uh, the can art is actually done by a, a different local artist or a rotating cast of local artists that we really like and, and try to support. Um, you know, often we'll treat the walls of the brewery itself almost like uh, like an, an art gallery um, with like different exhibitions, like kind of rotating uh, every month or so. And so just always trying to keep the experience fresh here in that way, um, but also keep each can and each brand very unique, um, but also tying it into our uh, desire to to highlight local talents and, you know, like you said, create that ecosystem, you know, keep that money here and support the people in our community that support us. Yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't, doesn't just stop with, with the ingredients as well. So I, I love the art on your labels, um, just the art itself, but I also love that you guys don't use just typical rectangle labels that the, that they all have shapes and fit with the design of the art. And I think that's a really cool added touch. Yeah, totally. That was, uh, that was, you know, kind of touching on the whole, you have to do something good and maybe a little bit different to be noticed in the world. Um, when we decided we wanted to do cans, we were really laboring over the identity of, of what the can was going to look like if it was ever on the shelf or, you know, even just in our cooler or sitting next to another can on a table at a beer share or something like that. So, um, and there, there were other, you know, we know that it's not, uh, necessarily the most novel idea to have artists do the labels. Um, and so there's, we just didn't want, we didn't want our identity to get lost in the, the abyss, I guess. Um, of all of the other labels out there. So uh, John Farmer, uh, you know, had the idea to do this die cut label and we hadn't really heard of anyone doing that before. So we didn't even know if it was possible to, to work it onto a can like that. Um, And then, uh, you know, we realized that the local um, label printer over here, uh, creative label of Vermont, they, they were able to make it happen for us and do everything that we needed to get that label on the can looking good and um and keep it local yeah exactly yeah absolutely um yeah so that's that was kind of where that came from and oh what i was going to say is the uh it also acts as kind of like a picture frame um so like the the glass is part of our logo that's part of our identity and it's always going to be there on that die cut label and so then the artists have all of that real estate to work work with Originally, we were going to try to keep the art in inside of the glass or outside of the glass, one or the other. Um, but there's just, you know, these these guys are too talented. This, they need more space. So um, it's we realized pretty quickly that 
it's pretty easy to tell when there's a foam can on the table because of that die cut. So it, it worked out for a lot of different reasons. And I'm glad that we went in that direction. I mean, I can't think I, I'm sure there's at least one other brewery in the country doing that, but I, I can't think of anyone else who does. Like it's a, right. it is one of like very noted. Like it's one of those things, like there's a cut, a few breweries like that. When you see one of the, yeah. their cans, like you know that that's like before even looking at anything, you just tell by the label that it's from this brewery. But in you, this, oh, absolutely, this definitely has that same effect. Awesome, and the art's great. Like this dead flowers, it's a, it's a beautiful can. Yeah, I mean it's it is pretty cool seeing uh, like the original artwork, and then you know going through the process of the proofs and everything like that, um, and just seeing these hyper creative people do their thing it's really inspiring and uh i think that um you know it's i'm really honored to have met all of the people that i've met on this journey and certainly wouldn't have met a lot of them uh if we weren't doing this um let's take one more quick sponsor break and then when we get back um I want to talk a little bit about like maybe what the makeup of the brewery was when you opened like equipment wise and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So we will be right back. I buy my beer at district East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard to find beers. And I love the option of making my own mix and match custom six pack. District East is on Northeast street in Frederick in the same shopping center as showroom restaurant and Rockwell brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. Are you planning on having custom glassware made for your business? Glassware availability for 2022 has already reached capacity, and it looks like costs will predictably rise this year. Don't worry. ACS Brand My Beverage has you covered with over 6 million units of the most popular glass styles exclusively in their inventory to meet your branded glassware needs right now. Lock in today's lower prices and take immediate delivery, or ACS will store your product for you until you're ready. Email sales at brandmybeverage.com or visit brandmybeverage.com to reserve your glassware. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. So when you opened, um, what what size brew house did you open with? Uh, when we opened the doors in 2016, we had a very basic um, direct fire seven barrel brew house, two vessel. Uh, we had it actually made for us uh, out in Colorado at a place called Bennett Forge Works. And at the time, it was definitely the most affordable option. And, uh, you know, made in, made in the United States, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, we wanted it to be <clears throat> as simple as possible to start out and, and really kind of, you know, op- you know flipping valves, <clears throat> escorting the process through by hand and uh, just, I guess, getting intimate with the beer making process. And um, 
also we just didn't have a lot of cash to spend on like a real fancy brew house. So, uh, we started out with, um, you know, just the, the kettle, the, uh, mash and louder and a hot water tank. That was basically just another kettle. Got the sirens blaring. Um, and that's our, that's, that is, uh, used as our hot water tank. And we had to, all of the process piping, all of, you know, the brew hoses and such. Um, we were just running them from the brew house in the back all the way to the end of the cellar, which is, you know, I mean, it's pretty small space. So it's probably only like 50 feet or something like that. But <clears throat> since we brew when people are at the brewery drinking beer, it could be a little dangerous tripping over hoses, yeah. a trip hazard, you know, and we did that for a while. And, uh, we, we just, it was a lot of, um, just a lot of like moving things around at the time. And so kind of in the same mindset of always working to make better beer, we're also always trying to work toward making a better process, a safer process, uh, more efficient. And so slowly but surely we've added to the brew house and, and the cellar and everything down here over the years. Um, again, you know, in a, in a slightly different vein, <clears throat> uh, met some extremely talented people, uh, the Nolans, they, uh, Dan Nolan does uh, sanitary welding. I mean, he's kind of a jack of all trades really, but, um, he's a amazing welder. And so he <clears throat> did all of the hard piping on the brew house for us. He made our process piping that goes over the cellar. Um, so a lot of it has really been hand fabricated, I guess. Um, it wasn't bought off the shelf. And, uh, because of that, I think we have a pretty unique setup. And it really fits with what we're doing over here. Um, it works really well. I like the direct fire brew house. Um, I think that it gives you a little bit of flexibility on creating flavors that you might not be able to get with a steam jacketed kettle or an electric brew house. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and so, so Dan Nolan did all that stuff. And his brother, Matt Nolan, uh, built our control panel that we have because there was nothing like that that came with the brew house. Um, and so he, you know, he put some VFDs in there and did a little bit of programming and it was essentially just pump control, pump speed control at the time. Uh, and like it on off for the, uh, direct fire, uh, for both the kettle and the hot water tank. But since then, uh, he has really had his way with the whole thing. And, um, we've added quite a bit of stuff in there. We've added, you know, lots of different, um, flow meter, flow totalizers, uh, he actually put a router in there so we could connect connect it to the internet and then um, connect to all of the stuff that's going on in the control box uh, via phone, which is kind of cool. We haven't actually plugged it in yet, but we will. Um, Baby steps. And so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, we started out with that, and then we started with, uh, it was either three or four seven-barrel fermenters. I don't quite remember because we very quickly added two more. Um, to, to try to keep up with demand um, and eventually fill in the whole back wall with fermenters. So we have seven, seven barrel fermenters now and a 10 barrel uh, stainless conical. And then we have uh, right in front of the brew house, we kind of barricaded ourselves in with uh, two double stacks of barrels um, for some mixed culture beer and some stouts that we're working on. And we also have a 10 barrel uh, fooder from Fooder Crafters, American White Oak. Um, and that's, we, we pump a lot of, um, mixed culture beer through that thing over the years. 
and we put a lot of uh, Vermont grown fruit in there as well. Um, we we really kind of hit that hard, and it's it's fun having the flexibility <clears throat> to be able to do all these different styles down here and uh, try to balance the menu, not just have you know a bunch of double IPAs on there, which is great and that sells really great. But <clears throat> I think that there you know variety is the spice of life, and I think that uh, people people's drinking habits and preferences change pretty quickly. And I, I've seen it over the years, you know, whether it's a fad or whether it's just um, like an older style coming back, uh, you know, into people's glasses. Um, I would say that lager beer in general, you know, Pilsners and stuff like that are making a pretty strong comeback. And I'm happy about yeah, that because I, I, that's what I want to be drinking at the end of the day. Um, and so we've been brewing a lot more lager than we ever have before. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's fun to be able to have a diversified menu that's balanced and it is challenging too, because, um, we sell all of the beer that we pour here, or I should say the majority of the beer that we pour here is out of serving tanks and a big walk-in cooler behind the bars. And so forecasting for how fast those beers are going to be consumed and, you know, what people are going to really be in the mood for in the moment, the time of year, all sorts of things, events that are happening around town, all of that stuff goes the last play few years. So exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can't, uh, some of the stuff you just can't plan for, yeah. obviously, but, um, you know, experience and time, like kind of, I feel like we have a pretty good uh, grip on the situation now. And, um, but yeah, you have to obviously kind of understand that ebb and flow of the beer and the beer styles to be able to forecast because we have to forecast two weeks out at least um, of what we're going to be filling the fermenters. And we don't, we don't have a set production production schedule here for that reason, because it's kind of impossible to know truly, um, you know, if someone, if, if uh, people are going to empty a seven barrel serving tank of Pilsner one weekend, which happens, you know, so, so you kind of have to uh, stay way more nimble at that location. Absolutely. And so we have our, and, and, uh, in 2017, um, we found a space down the road in Hinesburg, Vermont, um, where we <clears throat> uh, planned on doing some uh, can production. Um, we realized that, you know, we people wanted beer to take home. That was, you know, not a, growlers are great, but people just really wanted cans, and so we wanted to give our customers what they wanted. And uh, I thought it would it would be cool to be able to offer more um, consistent brands, I guess, more consistent flavors in the sense of um, knowing what's going to be coming out more regularly. Okay, so the um, expanding to a second location was with the goal of having kind of like having your core brands that. Yep. So you have do you have beers that are year round available or is it? So when we, when we opened, uh, the original idea was that we would do everything on site and we stayed true to that for about a year. Um, for the, I mean, we stayed true to that for more than a year, I guess. Um, but we, we, uh, never really planned on doing cans. Um, so we never really secured a flagship beer or anything like that, which is kind of unusual, especially at the time. Um, but what we do have are the, some of the favorites, you know, so that's how 
Josh and I kind of um, operate down here. We do all the R&D stuff, creating new beers, new process stuff, ingredients, whatever. Uh, and then try to take <clears throat> the feedback that we get on certain beers and see if we want to scale them up for a can um, and go through the whole, you know, designing the label and all that stuff. Um, but some, some of those beers did uh, shine through pretty quickly. And, you know, we knew what people liked. So Built a Spill, Pavement, Youth Lagoon, all of these things. Um, they were fan favorites uh, on draft down at Foam. And so we knew a handful of these that we were going to be uh, scaling up for canning. And so since that time, we've done quite a few cans and we rotate them on a schedule. So each week we do about five flavors. And uh, I think we have over 40, 40 different beers that kind of rotate through that cycle. Some of them are seasonal, um, but oftentimes, you know, every every other month, I guess you could find the same beer, like a built to spill. And some of them we do a little bit more consistently. It totally depends on the situation. But, what what um, is the, that's how we operate right now? What what's the setup at the uh, second location? <clears throat> so that's yeah, that's what I was getting at before okay. the phone call came in. Um, I. Uh, so we, we opened up the location down there, built it out, got it all set for, for the brewery space, um, dropped in some 15 barrel tanks, but we didn't at the time, uh, have a brew house down there. So, uh, Josh, Sam, and I were rotating through doing all the brewing for foam and also for, uh, the can production as well down in Hinesburg. And, uh, Todd was driving uh, a flatbed truck with a stainless tote in the back of it to and from foam, um, you know, multiple times a day. So it would take two, we have a seven barrel here, 15 barrel tanks there. So we had to do two brews uh, to fill up one of those 15 barrel tanks, truck the wort over to Heinsberg, ferment it, can it, and then bring it back to sell the cans here. And that was a lot of work and, you know, a little, a little sketchy sometimes. So um, slightly inefficient. We, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. Um, yeah, we were brewing like 13, up to 13 times a week on this, uh, you know, direct fire two vessel down here. So <laughs> it's pretty taxing at the end of it all. I mean, but, um, fortunately on those, uh, those double brew days we'd have because of that process, uh, I just had a, my first kid. So I was already finding myself like awake around three, four in the morning. So it worked out well that I was always volunteered to take the, uh, <laughs> the, the first brew on those piggyback. It, it was no big deal to but, go in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But certainly, certainly made for long days. I'm glad, glad we're not doing it that way anymore. Yeah. So after all those long days, we decided it was time to buy a brew house. And we uh, were looking at maybe going with uh, Forgeworks in Colorado again, because we loved, we loved what we got from them and the customer service and everything. Um, and, but then uh, we found a uh, brew house, a used brew house that the deal was pretty enticing. So Todd and I flew down to Dallas and checked it out um it was already decommissioned put away in this massive uh warehouse uh down in dallas and um we made an offer that was half of what they were asking for the brew house expecting to kind of you know haggle it through and they accepted the offer like they right just, off the bat. They just so, wanted it out of there <laughs> yeah we found out later that the reason they wanted it out of there is because they were selling the brewery and so they didn't want anything kind of you know lingering around oh, there that they yeah. would have to deal with later so we got a really killer deal out of it and uh, had a 30-barrel brew house shipped up here instead of a 15, um, all the way from Dallas in the middle of the winter. So that was a whole thing as well. But um, <clears throat> it's made life a lot easier. 
And uh, so now we, we have a whole team out in Hinesburg that, uh, that operates the, the whole brewery um, canning. We have, we recently put in a centrifuge, a GA centrifuge out there to, um, you know, reclaim a little bit of volume from some massive dry hops that we do. And also, most importantly, in my opinion, make a more stable beer um, kind of takes away that, you know, classic, uh, in quotations, hop burn. So any, any hop particulate that's, that won't settle out that potentially can end up in the can. And that's where people get like, you know, that kind of like burning or tingling sensation in the back of your throat. Um, and this just completely takes that out of the equation. Don't, don't even have to worry about that. So it's, uh, again, working always to make better beer and to make a better process. And, uh, that's kind of the consistent driving force, um, basically throughout everything that we do. So do you have, um, like 30 and 60 barrel fermenters there now or no, we still have a battery of 15s okay. and, uh, we, we just recently put in a, a couple 30 barrel fermenters. So what we'll do is we'll either do, you know, a, a half brew, like a half, um, like 15 barrel brew on 30 barrel brew house, fill a 15 tank, or some of the beers in the cycle are essentially the same base. Um, they're just dry hop differently. Okay. And so, uh, if, if that occasion arises, then we'll split the wort into two different tanks, um, and dry hop them differently or whatever. But, uh, it gives us a, it gives us flexibility to be able to do, you know, smaller, smaller volume things that, um, are, you know, seasonal, like one-offs or whatever, um, and not have like an insane amount of volume of that to, you know, sell here or send it to the market or whatever. So, um, it works pretty well and it is, it is, uh, the kind of back and forth, the communication between, um, between us is always key and, uh, making sure that we're all on the same page of what we're doing and, uh, just trying to, trying to stay as consistent as possible with, uh, you know, the, the beer coming out, beer being poured in the glass. So is anything packaged is coming out of that location and then everything, or do you still anything, anything in cans, um, and a lot of the kegs come out from Heinsberg. Um, but we do also, Josh and I fill, fill some kegs in the cooler, um, off the serving tanks more often than I would like to, to be honest, because it's pretty (laughs) tight in there. Um, but it is nice to offer some of the kind of specialty beers that we're brewing to select people, select accounts that, uh, you know, we we're trying to impress. Um, do you, uh, distribute much or are you sold mainly, uh, uh, directly to the consumer? Um, we sell a lot of beer on site and that, like I was saying is that was always our intention. Um, but we did also create a wholesale company. So we self-distribute in the state of Vermont. It's, uh, every state seems to have different rules on this, the self-distribution stuff whether it's allowed, not allowed, whatever in Vermont, it's allowed, but, uh, you have to have a wholesale company to be the conduit to do that. You can't, we couldn't just distribute our own beer as foam. So we created a wholesale company called conscious glass. So we self-distribute our beer through conscious glass, uh, in the state of Vermont. So cans, kegs, all that stuff. Um, but if we send beer out of state, uh, we're working. How long have you been with foam, Josh? Uh, I've been with foam five out of the six years. Um, I actually worked with uh, Bob and Sam and Todd um, early on in our production brewing careers. 
Um, I, when I first joined the brewery they were at, uh, they'd been there for a little over a year at that point. Um, and then just kind of worked uh, under the direction of Todd Hare there, you know, I always kind of considered him a mentor for sure. Um, it's pretty, pretty unique situation, uh, working at a brewery of that scale where, you know, typically in a production brewing setting, it's very specialized. Uh, you go in and you, you're, you're doing one task every day. You're on the keg line or you're cleaning fermenters or you're brewing and that's it. But uh, what was unique there, and especially, you know, if, if you appealed to Todd and showing that you were willing to learn and, and had like an appetite to, to continue to grow, he would let us, you know, move around and learn whatever part of the brewery or whatever skills we wanted to take on. So, you know, at that time, I just, I wanted to learn it all. So obviously started off, you know, hulking kegs on the uh, the keg line for the first few months, but then slowly started to learn, you know, working in the cellar, uh, brewing, packaging, even working in the, the quality assurance lab. Um, so it just became like really well-rounded and, uh, you know, forged a great relationship with these guys. And, uh, you know, they left, left to start foam and uh, kind of continued to try and, and grow and learn as much as I could, uh, knowing that someday, you know, they wouldn't be able to do it all on their own. And, uh, you know, hoping that uh, when the time came and that they needed a new employee, that uh, I would get that phone call. And, and that's, how it, that's how it worked out. So yeah, I came on uh, one year after they opened pretty much to the date and uh, been here since. Uh, it's like we got the old gang back together, you know, <laughs> one last job. Uh, so yeah. Of hanging out with uh, you know people I very much respect, uh, someone I've always considered a mentor, and you know now my my best friend making the beer on the waterfront here. It's not too bad. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't sound like a bad life. <laughs> no. That is um that's one thing about the breweries up in that area too. Everything just and maybe it's just the entire state. It's just everything so picturesque and beautiful. I mean, very much so, and certainly certainly spoiled by the. Uh, Lake Champlain views here for sure. You know, sometimes when you're in a larger production brewery setting, you get like that casino effect. You look around, you're like, well, wait a minute. There's no windows here. There's not even a clock on the wall. I don't know what time <laughs> it is. Am I on third shift kegging right now? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to have the views up here. I mean, we certainly live in a, in a beautiful state. That's for sure. So what, uh, is there anything coming up with foam that you guys are excited for? I mean, always, there's always something new that's uh, exciting. And um, we just <clears throat> we just uh, celebrated Funk in the Water. Uh, it's our beer festival, funky beer festival that we do annually. Uh, <clears throat> this year we did it uh, August 12th through the 14th, I believe. Um, it's that, you know, Thursday night through Sunday. Um, we had 44 different breweries represented here um, pouring their beer. And most breweries brought three different beers. Um, so the whole thing was, you know, bring at least one mixed culture beer and then you have your pick of whether you want to bring a hoppy beer, you know, stout or lager, whatever. Um, and so we were pouring, let's see, um, the front, the outside front bar, we had six taps going, we had four, all 40 inside in the brewery. And then we had, uh, those cool slick little, uh, electronic jockey box, uh, setups outside for a lager bar. Uh, and then over in our restaurant, Deep City, we had a natural wine bar as well on Saturday. And so it was pretty exciting. A lot of amazing uh, talent represented uh, for that event. And, yeah, um, I looked at the brewery list. It was it was definitely uh, 
It was an all-star cast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And I think people that were here had a really good time. And uh, yeah, it was a smooth event. And so, I mean, we, we do stuff like that all the time. I guess the uh, next event that I'm really excited for is the Halloween party. Um, uh, there's plenty of, of other cool events that are before and after that as well. But <laughs> we, uh, we really kind of sunk our teeth into uh, claiming Halloween around here as, as our day. And uh, so we have, have a costume party every year and a bunch of awesome bands come through and play. And uh, it gets weird. That's cool. I love Halloween. There, there used to be a big um, Halloween party every year in Frederick at a brewery, but they don't do it anymore. I felt like that was a huge disservice to oh, to Frederick, yeah. Maryland. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's like in that time of year where you got to have something to look forward to. It's kind of you know getting a little gross outside, and um, it's just a fun. It's always a fun time. Is that um, how long have you been doing that for? Uh, since I think that we did it the first year that we were open, okay. um, but like everything, it all kind of blossoms into, you know, insanity, but, um, it was, yeah, there some, some really good memories of some, uh, talented people on stage and all the weird costumes and everything. It's, it's just, a, it's a good night. So is it, um, is it fair to say that foam kind of specializes in IPAs and then, but it looks like you do a lot of mixed culture too. And then, yeah, I would say that people probably people would say that about us. I would say, um, I think that's what we originally became known for, even though we did open up with, um, a, you know, mixed menu. We had, uh, a lager, we had a Pilsner on, um, two Saison's, a a Belgian Saison, a French Saison, um, built the spill pavement. And, you know, we had a, we had a, mix of beers to offer people pale ale um but at especially at the time when we opened six and a half years ago uh double ipa was king and i think it still probably is but um i think that's what people were talking about and that's definitely you know what we were known for um we do have uh a mixed culture beer program called house fermentology it's uh it's our brewery um and i think we, you know, we branded that Todd actually opened that brewery, um, just before we opened foam with another, uh, pretty famous Vermonter, um, Bill Mayers. Um, and so they were kind of doing that as a side project and it all kind of fell into place around the same time that we decided we were going to do foam. So, um, after, I don't know, a year or two, uh, of just selling house fermentology at foam, we decided to uh, bring it under the wing, the brand of foam and buy, you know, buy house mentality from Todd and Bill and uh, really just make it, make it our own. And um, so we do a lot of different beers out there, all sorts of mixed culture things, saisons, um, like fruited sours, uh, all sorts of stuff. And we're also now doing um, kind of dabbling in the wine world as well. So we got a wine license and we are doing a project called natural hack. And so that's, uh, using Vermont grapes that we, we tend to a small one acre vineyard in Heinsburg next to the annex brewery. Um, and, uh, we're doing some natural wine, I guess like low intervention wine. Um, but it's, it's really just kind of facilitating 
the process of winemaking and we're not adding anything to it, you know, just we're there to make sure it's all good. Um, and we just recently during the weekend of Funk in the Water released um, our second and third bottle, which is was a mead um, and a uh, blueberry wine, t- blueberry table wine. Um, and the blueberries were those tart, really small blueberries from Maine. And um, so they're, they're pretty unique and interesting and uh, they have a lot of character. They're all very bone dry and, um, and they're all bottle conditioned. So they have a little bit of, of zip. Oh, that meat sounds good. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. With the yuzu that uh, meat has definitely, re- and I would say in the last year really made a strong comeback. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at untapped, like 25 of those uh, top spots are meteries, I feel like. Yeah, well, I I wonder what the driving factor of that is, because it seems to have come out of nowhere. Like it was like people kept trying to make mead happen for so long. And I feel like everyone kind of ignored it. And then all of a sudden it's just everywhere. Yeah, I think that it might just be as simple as, um, you know, mead classically i feel like or at least that's what i thought was like very syrupy and sweet and like you know super high in alcohol but i think um a lot of the mead that's popular now is kind of like what we're doing which is uh more on the dry side and maybe you know add a little sparkle in there some some carbonation always makes things better and the, <laughs> and thing. that's definitely what i didn't like when i tried mead in the past was like and then I definitely prefer the dry versions of it much better than what I've tried in the past where it was just a super high ABV. Oh yeah, thing. absolutely. Yeah. So maybe that is it's just people are more uh, tuning them to what uh, beer drinkers want. And then that, yeah. so, and it's, I guess too, like a lot more breweries um, making it and, making it available has probably helped too that like, when it when it was just a meadery putting out mead there's a lot less people are going to seek it out and try it but if it's right, right a brewery exactly. just having it there also it's more likely to be tried and then find mm-hmm. a larger audience i guess yeah i totally agree with that so is there i'll have to send you some of those bottles so you can try it oh that'd be awesome definitely i i'd never heard of yuzu until i feel like a month ago and now I see it in everything. <laughs> oh, it's a cool fruit. Yeah, it's uh, the yuzu that we got um, is from New Jersey, believe it or not. Oh, it's uh, there's a greenhouse farm down there that grows all this exotic citrus fruit, like Buddha's hand and yuzu, um, all sorts of things. Uh, and I, I want to go down and check it out. It sounds like a crazy place. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the second time we used uh, yuzu, we did a, a Japanese-inspired uh, like rice lager uh, not too long ago as well with uh, yuzu zest. So, yeah, I think it's been a pretty popular addition, something we'll try to utilize more and more. So is there anything about Foam's history or its current status that I have neglected to bring up or ask you about that you want to share? Oh, man, that's going down the rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think that we kind of touched all the bases uh, of like the, you know, of the points that we would want to be talking about, I guess. Um, 
in some type of detail but uh i mean there's any there's so many different things like like i was saying just like so many moving parts and so many different avenues um really keeps things exciting but it's also just it's uh I, I could really go on and on for too long. Josh used to, Josh usually has to uh, cut me off when he realizes <laughs> I'm on my tangent for the fifth time or something. But uh, I don't know, Josh, is there anything you could think of? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think we touched on, on pretty much every important facet and, and how we've gotten here and, and, and what's to come. So you know, check back in, see what else we got cooking up down the line here. Do you guys have some time to answer some random stupid questions? Sure. Oh, only if you'll take stupid answers. I encourage them. <laughs> Do you wash apples before eating them? No. Does You're that in, count? Like, uh, is that like wiping it on the shirt? Is that is that washing? Does that count? You two have covered the two most popular answers. <laughs> 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 um. Uh, yes, I will allow wiping it on your shirt as a full-fledged cleaning. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also like you get fruits and vegetables and people, you know, you run them under your tap water for a few seconds and you consider it clean as, yeah. as if your tap water is like some magic uh, <laughs> cleaning tap water. It's going to do yeah. anything. So, yeah, the, sh- the shirt is sufficient, I've always thought. Best fast food French fries. Defend your answer. Uh, I mean... Is it too cliche to say McDonald's? No, it, I mean that's it, what mo- that's actually what most people say. They've always been the best. You know, I remember Burger King tried to take the throne uh, back when I was like a teenager. It was like in the like late '90s. They like revamped their fries and said I, they were better. I do remember beer. that too. They had the whole ad campaign trying to say that. Yeah, they- and then I don't, I don't know. They just made the fry too big. McDonald's has their skinnier fries. Sometimes they're mushy. Sometimes they're crispy, but they never let you down. Uh, you know, Burger King, you can you can stick to like chicken fries if you really want to keep running with that. <laughs> what what would the title of your biography be? Well, this is funny. We've often said uh, we talk about who would play ourselves in like a, a biopic. Um, oh, that's a, I'm adding so that to I, my questions. That's a I'd good have question. To think of a title. But I think I think Paul Giamatti would probably uh, would would portray myself at least. Um, title I think have to Josh for you. I think maybe blood, sweat, and fear. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's, <laughs> what would what that's would yours? Com- that's a common phrase. What would yours be, Bob? Oh man, the the Wolf of Lake Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, I was going to say Josh is going to have to pick that one. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll go with the Wolf of Jake Street then. <laughs> Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? Mm. I mean, are we talking a peg leg pirate? If that's the case, then uh, I don't mean to offend anybody. I but, mean, that uh, is yeah, very ninja, offensive to pirates. I, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's going to be the headline of the podcast. Yeah. Now, the whole quote. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think, think the ninja would win because the, yeah, the, the, the pirate would agility. be drunk. You're, you're both wrong. Ah. A pirate would definitely win. All right. I have no reason or uh, backup for that. but well, We're I'm, just going to have to set a matchup now. I'm fully team Are pirate. you crazy? <laughs> uh, Follow-up, is Batman a ninja? Ooh. I well, guess I mean, he uh, would be, right? Yeah, I mean, we saw in he Batman Begins he had a lot of martial arts training. 
What is the scariest movie you have ever watched? Probably Gummo. Uh, <laughs> a lot of flashbacks to my childhood and uh, upbringing in West Virginia. Oh, I don't even know what that oh, is. Man. <laughs> oh man, it's a good one. Uh, look it up. Harmony, Harmony Corinne. It's, it's a real, it's a real feel-good movie. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a genuinely terrifying film, though, without it actually having any elements of real horror in it. So just G U M M O. That's the one. Oh, well. When you really need a pick me up, throw that one on late at night. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, I felt uh, I feel obligated to like make a you know a joke about it because uh, my girlfriend and I are really into horror movies, so we've watched a lot of scary ones. I, I don't know if I could pick the scariest. Okay, um, definitely could pick my favorite, but that would be uh, the witch. That's a good one. Good storyline, and it is pretty scary. What is scarier, aliens or clowns? Clowns. Aliens. Most people say clowns. My wife, though, is terrified of uh, aliens. Pizza. I mean, or... it depends. We... Oh, oh no, sorry. go ahead. I don't. We don't need my thoughts on what type of aliens <laughs> we're dealing with. I just, if you're talking about like the movie aliens, yeah, those are absolutely terrifying. But uh, well, sorry, the, we can go with clowns. The the best answer I've ever been given for that was uh, definitely clowns uh, because. Aliens could be there for good, but clowns are never there for good. <laughs> Spot on. Uh, pizza or tacos? Pizza. That's correct. Actually, there's really no wrong answer to that one. No. Name a famous Taco flavored pizza. pizza. I mean, then you just have like your mind's gonna blow. <laughs> uh, name a famous person who you would love to meet. Living or dead, or either. Either. Mm. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt would be pretty cool. He's kind of a badass naturalist. Um, but uh, Mark Twain, probably. That's a good answer. I kick it with Hunter S. Thompson for like one 24 hour stretch. And That's then probably to, all you <laughs> could handle. <laughs> have to hang it up after that. But uh, yeah, I'd like to sit and pick that guy's brain for a bit. That would, that would be a long, rough 24 <laughs> hours if you hadn't prepared yourself <laughs> for it. <laughs> there was uh, there was one year, uh, the brewery we worked at formerly, where uh, we we're dressing up for Halloween. And uh, I was... I was always a theater kid growing up. So I, I, Halloween comes around. I'm not wearing a costume. I'm like, I'm doing, I'm going to be a character for that day. And I, uh, I, I showed up that day as uh, Hunter S. Thompson and walked all around the brewery uh, in character. And uh, by the end of the day, I, I thought everyone just got done with me and we haven't even gone out for Halloween at that point. So, <laughs> talk about a long 24 hour stretch, just everyone having to deal with Hunter S. Thompson, uh, uh, reading tanks and, uh, Jumping grain. <laughs> what is the worst concert you've ever attended? Hmm. <clears throat> Probably. Oh, man. I don't want to say it. 
it was like the worst and the best uh it was actually at red rocks in colorado but it, i was dragged to uh fallout boy concert so best because Ooh. it was at red rocks worst because it was fallout boy exactly <laughs> that's a that's a fair answer and mm. re- I definitely that's on my bucket list. I have to see something at Red Rocks because oh, I mean, yeah, the it just looks absolutely amazing. amazing. Oh, it really is. Yeah, Josh is into country five. music, so I was gonna say anything really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will add that's to that easy. too. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Does pineapple belong on a pizza? Absolutely I can do without it. it. It does not belong on a pizza. No. Is Nickelback actually a good band? <laughs> is that a joke? <laughs> it's a question. This uh, is the weed I mean, people out. <laughs> some, some, sometimes late at night, you've had just the right amount of beers. You throw the AirPods in and you put on that hero oh, song, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can have a you can have a moment there, but no, they're they're not not a great band. <laughs> Is it acceptable to use a gift card on a first date? I don't think so. No, absolutely not. No. I feel weird about using gift cards anytime. <laughs> yeah, that's a red flag. You run out of that date immediately. Is that <laughs> is that worse or better than a coupon? Oh, that's worse. I mean, no, that's better. <laughs> the, yeah. The gift card is better than a coupon, but <laughs> only if you only if you pull the coupon out of your like fanny pack, like when the bill comes, you're like, hang on, and dig through your other coupons, like, hang on, I got one here. No, you have to wait until the bill's actually already been brought to you and not bring. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! But do you do double coupons? Here, hang on, I got two of them. Can we combine these offers? What is the best color of Starburst? Orange, pink, pink. Ooh, Josh, ooh. you're a maniac. Uh, Bob, you're correct. What? <laughs> <laughs> Told you, Josh. Wow. We well, I mean, at least have no, that argument. I mean, at least no one said cherry. The red one. Well, I mean, like the most I, I was going to say at least you didn't say yellow because I just yeah kick those people out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, as you should. You know, it's scarier than clowns. People that like yellow starburst. <laughs> <laughs> I often wonder why they even still make them. Like, what? What's the point? <laughs> Because of people like Josh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're out there. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about garden gnomes? How have we not canceled them yet? <laughs> yeah, half their pants are pulled down. I don't know. Yeah, they're up to no good. Not into it. <laughs> not a fan. If you were a wrestler, what would your walkout music be? Man, assuming uh, Josh's would be hero. Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> and I would I, I would need a wig say, to yeah. like blow my hair back. Uh, <laughs> wig and a fan. But yeah, for sure. I'm interested to hear you with Bob. Oh, man. Uh yeah, probably uh <laughs> Oh jeez. I don't know. Some Josh, what do you think it would be? I was gonna make a joke and say, uh P-O-D. Like a bad company the, song? Uh, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> bad company. Oh, jeez, no. Please, <laughs> please, no. Around. <laughs> Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. No, it's sausage. 
<laughs> is cereal a type of soup? And apparently my phone thinks I said Siri. <laughs> uh, if you needed to call a plumber, who would you hire, Mario or Luigi? Luigi. He was always and my favorite. Because no, if you're out he's like the too easy to say Mario. If there's ever a choice in any of those games to like pick one of the Mario Brothers, or as I believe you say in your area, Mario Brothers, uh, I would always say, I would always go with Luigi. I agree. Luigi, I feel like fame would have gone to Mario's head. He really wouldn't be into it. He'd be Absolutely. sidetracked by his stardom. His pricing would just be like outrageous too. I mean, yeah. he couldn't even get him there. His appearance fee would be way higher. <laughs> Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely. 100%. I will defend that for to the death. That's I mean it is. I think I feel like this is the most this is what you've felt str- most strongly about this entire hour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it opens and closes with Christmas music aside from taking place at Christmas. Come on. Who 100%. was and it's the it's the best Christmas movie. <laughs> Who was the real bully? Daniel LaRusso or Johnny Lawrence? Hmm. LaRusso. That's correct. He's a scumbag. Yeah. Girlfriend girlfriend stealing scumbag. (laughs) Have you ever seen the, there's a YouTube video that had like, does an edit showing you all the horrible things he did throughout the movie to prove that he's the, that he's the bully. Oh, really? That's fucking hilarious. Um, what is the best Robin Williams movie? Goodwill Hunting. I'll accept that. I mean, I probably watched the VHS of Mrs. Doubtfire several hundred times as a child. So, I, yes, like Goodwill Hunting is an all-time classic uh, and one of the best performances. But Mrs. Doubtfire. The correct answer is one-hour photo. Ooh, yeah, oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. Yeah. You're telling me when you hear Robin Williams' name, you don't think of like the icing face. Hello. That's not like the first thing you think of. <laughs> Come on. We've been treated to so many uh, impersonations. <laughs> I'm a card-carrying thespian, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, one more. Um, what is the best gift you have ever received? Come on, Josh. Be corny. Say your kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, best gift I received. I mean, best gift I ever gave was I got a squatty potty for my wife uh, one year for like Christmas or her, our anniversary. She didn't. She didn't think that was as funny as I she's, thought it she's was. A, that's a lucky lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, she she was pumped about that one. Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> impersonations and squatty potties. I mean, it was it was better than the heart neck and squatty potty. <laughs> I don't know. Best gift. That's. I've received a few guitars in my day. Those are always great gifts to receive. It's a good gift. That's a big deal. Yeah, I got a smoker. That was pretty cool. That's a good gift. That's um, but I, I like the uh, I like the 
stuff that's like made. Like my girlfriend's mom painted this like she's a professional painter. She painted me this amazing piece that uh, is hanging up in the living room right now. Love that one. My mine is I just received recently for our wedding anniversary. My wife had uh, margarita glasses made. Um, oh, cool! From are you familiar with Huffy Glass? Uh, he, I don't think so. He does um, yeah. the uh, four fifty North. If you follow them oh, at all, okay, he does okay. all yeah, the like yeah, yeah. the super elaborate glassware that oh, that cool. they do. Um, I'm friends with him and have a lot of it. I have a large collection of his glassware. Uh, but she contacted him and had him make a pair of margarita glasses because damn, that's cool. A lot of my nights, yeah, that's a good one. We we have uh, margaritas at night. Oh yeah, <laughs> margs are where it's at. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and humoring me with my stupid questions at the end. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Chris, for having us. It's been nice talking. Really appreciate it. I I love you guys. Beer, dead flowers is amazing. I can't remember the names of the other ones I've had in the past, but they're all good and. <laughs> I'm still amazed. I'm still amazed that everyone yeah, in Vermont uh, makes the best IPAs in the world. But yeah, well, thank you. So, um, thank you guys, and <laughs> thank you everyone for listening. Cheers. Yeah, Chris. Have a good one. Take care. All right. Stay connected because it has to finish uploading. And yeah, Chris, I'll have to. Uh, Get your address so I could send you those bottles. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you. I'll yeah, shoot it over cool. to you. The um it's funny, the I've I've hung out with Hunter S. Thompson's widow. Really? No kidding. Yeah. Well wow. Flying Dog is located in Frederick, Maryland. Uh um, yeah, the Ralph Stedman stuff. Yeah, so the owner of Flying Dog actually was engaged to Hunter S. Thompson's widow for a little while. So wow. I was wow. at That's- the weird i didn't know that oh yeah especially because they Holy were friends so it was kind yeah, of like exactly. a scandalous oh, shit, that's weird. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> so they and th- that was who used to have the awesome halloween parties but now they don't they I... don't even have a tap room oh, okay. i mean yeah totally yeah that would get fucking weird over there real quick <laughs> well they they when they moved to maryland ah. they um they basically broke every law that Maryland had <laughs> in regards to how a brewery could operate. <laughs> and like they used to have uh, every year they would have uh, Gonzo Fest on his birthday. Oh. And there were these humongous festivals that weren't even technically legal to hold in Maryland with the way the laws were for breweries. Aside back then. from what was going on at yeah. those festivals. I'm sure. <laughs> so they hey, used to have Chris, all these crazy. Sorry. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go. Unfortunately, okay. like right now, is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're. I it's, think you're fully uploaded, so we're good to go. Okay, sorry, this guy's been waiting for me for like twenty minutes. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much, man. Yeah, thank you. I'll talk. I'll talk to you though. All right, sounds okay. good. All right, bye. But yeah, so they they used to have uh, these Gonzo fests, and they were amazingly fun parties. But they would oh, also sure. before like until. Uh, it wasn't really that long ago. A brewery couldn't even sell a pint of beer over the bar. You couldn't give do taste. Really? Yeah, the laws in Maryland were crazy. Um, wow. for as they pertain to breweries in Maryland, and it's like Flying Dog didn't bother reading a single law, <laughs> and they just operated <laughs> like they were still in Colorado. <laughs> so they just kept getting in trouble for stuff. <laughs> oh man.
but wow. and they're what's they they're what's got me into craft beer. Because when I oh, when yeah. I first moved to Maryland or uh, no to Frederick, they had just moved to Frederick also, and you could go to the tap room, take a tour, and drink as much beer as you wanted to. And, Incredible. And and you're both new in town. Yeah, and my <laughs> and my new coworkers went there, so I would go with them, and then it, like it, it just became a thing. Every Saturday, we would go and just drink yeah. <laughs> beer into rules we, be damned yeah. i love that <laughs> oh that's awesome so you're in frederick now currently yeah yeah i'm still still oh, in okay. frederick i uh yeah i had a, an aunt who lived in frederick and i was actually born in baltimore uh, okay a lot of family like like dad's family's from baltimore uh so that's cool and yeah then then moved to west virginia when i was like two so i don't have a ton of ties still around baltimore area just occasionally seeing family what uh what part of west virginia uh, yeah, Morgantown, West Virginia. Okay, I grew like up the, in uh, Pittsburgh. Oh, no shit, that's awesome. Yeah, so like you were just like an hour and a half yeah. uh, north of us, then. Yeah, Pittsburgh's like that was like our big city. Yeah, <laughs> we wanted to like go to you know go to a show or go shopping or something. Yeah, I grew up just south of of Pittsburgh. Oh, right on. Nice for Manny Brothers. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's oh, man. A, I think that's a, what, what they're most known for, and I actually don't even like them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, there was like, yeah, now there's like chains of them. I think even like Morgantown has a Permani Brothers. Oh, there's one in so Hagerstown, strange. Maryland, which is like the next what? large town over from Frederick. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I went to college uh, for a semester at Shepherd. Yeah, so I know okay. Hagerstown pretty well. Yeah, so also, the, yeah, there's a Permani so. Brothers in Hagerstown now. Oh my god, <laughs> that just seems so odd. Oh no. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.